from the corner of 16th and Peachtree Street, right next to the High Museum of Art in Midtown Atlanta. Welcome to the First Presbyterian Church. I'm Senior Pastor Tony Sundermeyer, and I want to thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. And I would invite you now to join us in the worship of God. Good morning. My name is Jane Armstrong, and I am an elder currently serving on our session. Will you join me for the call to worship? We gather today as the people of God, as a community of Christ's followers. We gather to share word and sacrament, to discern the ways of faithful service. Where in the world shall we serve our God? In the communities of Atlanta, of Kenya, of Haiti, of Cuba, of Jamaica, and of Brazil, wherever God's people inhabit the earth. How in the world shall we serve our God? By working toward justice where there is oppression, by offering comfort where there is pain, by sharing love where there is hatred. Why in the world shall we serve our God? Because Jesus calls us to enact our faith. Friends, let us worship God. Please turn with me in your pew Bible to Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20, which can be found on page 32 of the New Testament. Listen for and hear the word of God. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second scripture reading today is from the first letter of Paul to the Corinthians, chapter 3, verses 1 through 9, which can be found on page 156 of the New Testament. Listen for the word of God. And so, brothers and sisters, I could not speak to you as spiritual people, but rather as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you are not ready for solid food. Even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For as long as there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not of the flesh? behaving according to human inclination? For when, when one says, I belong to Paul, and another, I belong to Apollos, are you not merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. The one who plants and the one who waters have a common purpose. 
and each will receive wages according to the labor of each. For we are God's servants working together. You are God's field and God's building. This is the word of the Lord. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, break open your word afresh to us this day so that we would be different people than those who came into this sacred space this morning, even to be more like your son, Jesus the Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. One of the most pressing challenges that Paul was trying to address with the Christian community in Corinth was the deep divisions that were prevalent within that particular community. You see, factions had bubbled up as individuals began aligning themselves with numerous leaders, numerous voices within uh, the ancient Christian world. Various blocks were competing with one another in Corinth. Uh, they were blocks and groups and divisions that said, we have the corner on truth. We understand the gospel better than you do. We practice an authentic faith. We align ourselves with Paul. Some said we align ourselves with Apollos. Earlier we learned that some were aligning themselves with Peter. And so what you had in this particular uh, Christian community at its very genesis is quarreling and jealousy and deep, deep competition. It was a community divided. And for Paul, this could not persist. It's the impetus of why he corresponds with them. He needs to get in front of them and say, this way of being lacks integrity with the gospel. It lacks integrity with the very mission of God. If the community is divided, he says, so is Christ. And if Christ is divided, so is his mission. And if his mission is divided, it is no longer Christ's mission. And so something has to change. A new way of being community together needs to take place. And Paul speaks with a certain measure of moral authority into that position and into that community, rather, and takes a position saying, if we are to bear the name of Christ, we need to be unified. The sentiment Paul had for the church might be, for some of us, similar to the feelings we might have for our nation right now. Uh, in many ways, we are divided people, aren't we? Uh, we are divided by rich and poor. We are divided by Republican and Democrat. We are divided by uh, religious people and non-religious people. We're divided by issues like tax reform. We're divided around issues of race. We're divided over our support of the president. Some are very supportive of the president, others not so much. We're divided around whether or not it's okay for an NFL player to take a knee during the national anthem or if that is a sign of disrespect to our flag, to our country, to the nation's servicemen and women and all who sacrifice to make this country what it is. In so many ways, I don't have to tell you we are divided. 
And perhaps we long for a voice to speak into our current context the way that the Apostle Paul spoke into his. We long for a voice, at least I do, that, that seems to be free of an agenda. We long for a voice that leads with morality. We long for a voice that is not rooted in self-interest, but in the interest of the whole, of common purpose, of unity, of reconciliation. This sermon is not about what the nation needs to do, but rather this sermon will begin at least in what we're called to do in season and out of season. Who we're called to be when things are going well and when things are not going well. For the relevance of the Christian church in these times, I believe, squarely rests on our witness as a community. How do we live with one another? How do we understand God, not just sort of in an individualistic way, but in a collective communal way? If we're going to be relevant, if we're going to possess a voice that is beneficial and good for the world, not just for us inside of these walls, then we are going to have to have a deeper synergy a synergy with God and God's mission for sure, but a deeper synergy with one another and how we serve in God's mission. I'm using the word synergy very intentionally this morning because uh, a root of it is found in our text from 1 Corinthians. It appears in this uh, correspondence that Paul has with the church there, particularly in 1 Corinthians 3, 8, and 9. Let me just read it one more time to you. The one who plants and the one who waters have a common purpose. And each will receive wages according to the labor of each. For we are God's servants working together. You are God's field. You are God's building. The English phrase here, we are God's servants working together, we are God's servants working together. This string of six words is a translation of just two Greek words, sunergos and teo. Sunergos is the word where we find that root for synergy. It means joining with someone to accomplish a single-minded mission. It means becoming a co-laborer, a co-collaborator, it means coming together, being unified, having synergy for a particular mission or purpose in mind. That's what Paul is saying. But it's not just any mission. It's not some mission that happens in a vacuum. It's not a mission that's driven by our own self-will or our self-interest. Rather, don't miss the teo in this Greek string, the very word for God. We are God's servants. It's about God's mission. What Paul is saying in this community that is divided amongst itself, that is aligning itself with different factions, that, that is caring about its own self-interest and pockets, that, that they're pursuing their own glory, their own poll numbers. They're, they're pursuing their own fame and their own name to grow. What Paul is saying is that all of us our co-workers. And if we are going to be faithful in this endeavor, if we're going to be faithful in the mission of God, 
then we have to have synergy with one another. We have to see the other as equal. Now, there are boundaries here, and this is for another day, but I at least feel the need to say it now. There are boundaries because when it stops being about the mission of God, then we can offer a judgment. When it begins to be about us and what we want in our own self-interest, then the church needs to judge itself. The church needs to say, this is not who God has called us to be. We go back to the scriptures and we read the Sermon on the Mount and we read the Ten Commandments and we read the Gospels and we read the, the, the prophets, we read the, the stories of old and we begin to get a sense of what God's mission is all about. What Paul is first and foremost saying is that there needs to be, if we are going to be a faithful Christian community here in Corinth, we need to have synergy with God's mission and with one another. There's no one upsmanship in this equation. We are all equal in service to God. Now, I realized as I was making preparations for the sermon today that I often will use the phrase God's mission. I also realized that, that mission is a charged word. Mission means a lot of things for a lot of different people. It depends on where you grew up. It depends on where you study. It depends uh, if you're a historian. You're going to look at mission in a very different way than maybe an evangelist would look at mission. But, but I wanted to give just a brief introduction of what I mean when I think about or when I say God's mission. When I think about God's mission, I think about God's benevolent reign for good in the world. That's what I think about. There's actually a shorthand in the Gospels for this. Three words. Kingdom of God. Kingdom of God. In fact, there is nothing that gets Jesus' attention more in his speech and in his ministry than a conversation about the kingdom of God. He talks about the kingdom of God more than any other subject in the Gospels. It occupies his very ministry. In fact, his life, death, and resurrection, we confess, inaugurate that kingdom. And the church's work is a response to God's work, to God's kingdom, to live into those values, to live into that hope, to live into that faith, and to bear witness to that love for all people. It is good news for all people. I've said this before. It's, it's something that I think is important to say in all times and in all spaces. But if it isn't good news for all people, then it's not the gospel. If it isn't good news for everyone, it is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that kind of sets the stage a little bit as we come to these celebration points and the life of our faith together in worship. First World Communion Sunday, a tradition founded in 1934 that on the first Sunday of October every year that churches around the world would celebrate communion in communities where communion is not a habitual practice week in and week out. We say on this day, we're all gonna celebrate communion as a sign that we are united that we do share this synergy as fellow co-workers, but we also celebrate in a particular way our global partnerships in Brazil and Cuba, Haiti, Jamaica, and Kenya. We celebrate our refugee resettlement ministry here in Georgia. And I wanna elevate this ministry as a way to talk about God's mission. I wanna elevate these global partnerships as a way to understand the contours of the kingdom of God. First, God's mission 
God's reign for good knows no geographical bounds. Our global partnerships teach us this truth. God is God, and God is God of the whole wide world. God is God of all nations. There is not one inch of this planet that God does not claim as God's own. And so what we learn from our global partnerships and this theological intuition is that God's reign, God's kingdom is transnational. It's transethnic. We have partnerships in Brazil and Cuba and Haiti and Jamaica and Kenya, not because we believe that we're bringing the kingdom of God to those people, but that the kingdom of God is already there. We have these partnerships because God is working there and we wanna be a part of what God is doing, not just in Atlanta, but throughout the world. Uh, one of my favorite contemporary theologians, I'll use that in air quotes because he's not a trained theologian. He's a singer songwriter, a guy named Bono. He leads the little band you may have heard of. In his early days, he would often pray that God would bless his music. He'd, he'd pray in his songwriting time, Lord, just help me write a good song. And if he'd produce a song, he said, Lord, help us put, put this song uh, to, to, to record so that we can launch it into the world. Oh, Lord, bless this project. Bless this album. Bless our contract. Bless our endeavor as a band. One day, a pastor friend of his was, was engaging him in a conversation about his prayer life and asked, what does he pray for? And he, he named all these prayers that he was praying that God would bless him. And this pastor invited him into a different perspective. He told Bono to find out what God is already doing and go there because when God does it, that work is already blessed. When God does it, that work is already blessed. That I think in many ways is the backbone of our global partnerships. We participate in these partnerships, not because we think we have the corner on truth, not because we think we have to usher in the kingdom of God, but because God is already working there. God is working in those nations before we even form our partnerships. God is alive and well, and we visit our partners, and they visit us to bear witness to that, to share in that ministry. We are, in Paul's words, fellow workers. We're co-collaborators, not better than the other but equally and mutually discerning God's will for the church. We go to Brazil to see and to participate in what God is blessing through the ministries of education and student empowerment. We, we go to Cuba to see and participate in what God is blessing through the Presbyterian Church in Cuba by visioning for and, and implementing enhanced infrastructure like water purification systems so the quality of life improves for all people in that community. We go to Haiti, as Barbara reminded us today, that, that we go to Haiti to see and participate what God is blessing through the feeding programs that we have for children that support their focus, that support their energy, that support their physicality so that they can get a good education. We go to Jamaica to see and participate in what God is blessing in profound and life-changing ministries for orphans and for youth and young adults. We go to Kenya to participate in what God is blessing through economic empowerment ministries, through microfinance and entrepreneurial ventures for women. We walk alongside of refugees 
in holistic ways that tend to their spiritual, economic, and emotional needs because God, says the scriptures, walks with the stranger and the foreigner. There's so much more we could say about what God is already doing in the world that motivates us to connect in these contexts far too much for one sermon. The great Peter Drucker, one of the pioneers of, of leadership development and organizational management, uh, he, he studied leadership and he studied successful leaders, and he was looking for a common denominator. He was looking for a common denominator that he could say, if, if, if a leader, if a person has this, chances are they are going to be a leader in whatever field they're a part of. And of course, number one on the list, something shared among all the leaders was education access to good education that supported what they were doing in their particular field. Also uh, within that rubric, he, he, he discerned that, that there were certain experiences that people could have that would help support them in their vocational trajectory. Experiences that may have not even been formal, but helped shape their leadership life. For example, Bill Gates, when he was in eighth grade, when he was a middle schooler, his middle school was one of only a handful of schools in the country that actually had a computer lab. And we're talking like computers as big, you know, to fill this room. Punch cards. Bill Gates was doing punch cards when he was in the eighth grade. He had experiences that helped shape his leadership life that many other people did not have. But there was another variable that Peter Drucker discovered. Uh, that was one that maybe wasn't as obvious as education and experience. It was cross-cultural living. Cross-cultural living. When he studied his leaders, he realized that every leader that he studied had a common denominator of some experience, whether foreign or domestic, that was another context from the one in which they grew up. And what he says is this, is that the reason leaders grow out of these cross-cultural, cross-contextual experiences is because they humble themselves and they put themselves in a position to learn from the other who is different from them. And they integrate that and they bring it back to their own context. Friends, I think Drucker is onto something for the spiritual life because that's precisely what happens when you visit these places where God is already at work, whether here in Atlanta or around the world, you visit them as a learner. You humble yourself in such a way that God begins to work on you and you see how big God really is. And you see firsthand what God is up to in the world and you realize how small you really are. And you realize how vast and how wide and how deep the kingdom of God is. I know from my own experiences, some of the, the places that have shaped my own leadership life in the most acute ways have been when I've worked with Christians in, in Kenya, in Mexico, in Scotland, and in Germany, and in Honduras, and in Croatia. In each context, when you put yourself in that position to see what God is doing, it changes you. It changes you. It grows your faith. It grows your hope. It grows your theology to realize how big God really is. I want to end with this invitation. Where the opportunity presents itself for you to participate in a trip with one of our global partners whether it's going to their nation or when they come here and we share with you that they're here to connect with them, I'd encourage you to do it. 
As part of our long-range strategic plan, we set out a goal over the next seven years, six years now, as we move through the long-range plan for one year, a goal of 200 new participants in our global mission efforts. That 200 folks would not only participate, but begin to build relationships with our global partners. So far, since the launch of our long-range strategic plan, we've had 30 people who have never participated in a partnership trip before go to visit one of our partners this year. 30 people. 30 lives that are being transformed and changed. 30 lives that are growing in their servant leadership. We are moving toward a day and a time with our budgeting where we don't, do not want finances to be an impediment. Some of these trips, look, plainly are expensive. But we want to create opportunities for those who couldn't otherwise go because of finances for them to participate. We don't want to have any impediment for people to participate and to be transformed in and through these contexts. And so when you hear these trips advertised, don't just pass over them. In fact, here's what I want you to do. I want you to remember, I remember that sermon Tony preached in October of 2017. It could be like 2020. And there was something tugging on my heart saying, you know what, you should probably go to this place or that place. And you can look back, you may not remember anything else from the sermon at all, but you remember how you felt right now. And you remember that, that God had placed the seed in your heart, and maybe that seed is now coming to life. That now's the time, says the Spirit, that you have to go and be a co-laborer and co-worker in the kingdom of God. I'll close with this story. When I was uh, serving as a pastor at another church, I, I had friends who were part of another church who started a medical clinic. I've preached about the medical clinic before. I led a team of, of medical professionals to this part of Honduras that, that worked with Honduran doctors for a week at a time uh, to treat people who did not have ac access to good health care at all. Uh, you'll be pleased to know that I did not do any medical practitioner work at all. I was the spiritual leader, the spiritual guide for this trip. They saw 600 patients in five days. OBGYN, ophthalmologists, emergency room physicians, nurses' aides, wound specialists, all saw dentists, 600 people, span of a week. The very last patient to come in was a little boy, probably nine, 10 years old. He walked with a limp, he had no teeth. There was obviously, it was obvious to our medical practitioners that there was a complex amount of things going on with this child. And it just hit them. You know, it's the last patient, they, they can't do anything for him. They can't create a sustained plan for him. They can't address his needs in this quick kind of way. And the burden was so heavy for them. I could see it on their faces. I could see as their shoulders began to, to shrug. And all of a sudden, this little boy starts walking to each medical professional and hugs them. And in Spanish, says, thank you. And thank you. And thank you. And of course, these tough doctors who see it all, these tough nurses who see it all, just started to weep as they co-labored together. And this boy brought a ministry of encouragement to this team. On the way out, the translator asked the boy, what's your name? And you know what he said? Jesus. Jesus. 
Friends, when you go to these places, I guarantee it, you meet Jesus. You meet Jesus in ways that will change your life. May we continue to be a church that goes where God is, already blessing. Thanks be to God. Friends, God is the God of all nations, and God is at work in the world. May we discern where that work is and go there, for that work is blessed. And may the peace of God, which goes beyond all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ. May his peace live inside of you this day and every day of your life. Amen.